So we're in a series right now called The Secret to Bliss, and we've been going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And today we'll be in Philippians chapter 4. The scriptures will not be on the screen, but there are Bibles on the tables, and you can also follow along in our app in the sermon notes. Um, I encourage you all to get into the Word for yourself, have it in front of you. Um, Having it in front of you um, certainly helps with um, remembering and actually focusing in. So I ask you guys to all get there in um, scripture in one form or another. So in this series, uh, we've been learning all about this joy and peace that God gives to us, um, really as this divine joy and peace. It's not something we get from this earth, it's not something we we get from this world, and it's not something that comes from within ourselves. It is really a divine peace and joy that God gives to us that surpasses all circumstances. Today we're learning how, in fact, it actually guards our hearts, and it guards our minds, and actually this joy and this peace that we can determine, I'm going to walk in this, I'm going to set my mind on it, it actually guards us from anything that comes our way. So whether or not you know, our next day or year is good or bad, it doesn't matter because we have the peace and joy that God gives us. And in this scripture, he really teaches us this mindset that accompanies this um, joy that he wants us to experience. There's a mindset of focus on who he is and what he wants for us that really guards us and protects us. And so I'm excited to preach this scripture, Philippians 4, particularly this portion, is a very famous portion of scripture. It's a scripture that many... Uh, believers would turn to on a bad day. It's one that maybe when your friend is too stressed out, you would quote and annoy them because they're like, yeah, 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 I know. I don't need you to tell me that. But it's one of those classic portions of scripture where people turn to it or advise it or quote it um, because it is so good. And the problem sometimes when a scripture becomes becomes really too well known uh, within uh, circles in in Christians, uh, Christian circles, what happens is it loses its meaning a little bit because you've heard it so many times, it's been quoted so many times, people have told you it so many times, you start to think, yeah, yeah, I know it, and you stop allowing it to really sink in and have the true meaning that it should, right? It's like everybody knows John 3, 16, and sometimes we forget just how powerful that verse actually is, that God said his only begotten son to die for us, and whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. Like We're like, oh, I can quote it, but just think about how powerful and amazing that is. Likewise, this portion of Sometimes we miss how good it really is. And so I'm really, really excited to, to go through this scripture and talk about it today. What we'll do is we'll read the entirety of this um, portion of scripture. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we will then go and break it down verse by verse. So let's start Philippians 4, verse 1. This is Paul writing to the Philippians. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Sinti to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of, the, of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness Be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will 
Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture. God, thank you for giving us this text to show us the mindset that we should live our lives, the mindset that we should base all of our decisions, thoughts, and, and actions on, Lord. To have this mindset, this, this holy mindset that you give to us, Lord. I pray that we would be open to what this text is teaching, that our hearts would receive it, and that your Holy Spirit would preach a message in all of our hearts, um, convict us of sin, and show us the way that you want us to go, each in our own lives as we read this text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so in this text, Paul begins by saying, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. He's saying here, hey, brothers, I, I, I love you. I want to see you. I want to be around you guys. I miss you guys. And then he says, I take joy in you guys. You are my joy. Think of like these, what he's saying here. It's, it's important to realize how much he loves this church. And not only that, how proud he is of them. In the book of Philippians, he really has not given them any really specific exhortment on, on areas that they're in wrong. In many of the other books, he says, hey, I heard about this, though. Like, you guys are doing good here, but I heard about this. You need to fix this, okay? In this book, he really doesn't do that. The only portion we see we're going to talk about here, and he doesn't even address if anybody's in the wrong. He just simply wants unity. But he, he longs for them. He, he, he takes joy and, and pride in them. And then because he loves them so much, his, his first charge here in this text is stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul, as really the church planner, the apostle to the churches, he wanted them to stand firm. You know, for me I, as a pastor, I, more and more the Lord has been putting on my heart just how much I want the congregation, our congregation, everyone who goes to our community group comes here on Sundays, everyone that we're associated with, how much I just want us to stand firm in the Lord. When we really love for, love, have a love for people, when we truly love them, the thing that we want more than anything for them is for them to stand firm in the Lord. To stand firm in the Lord. Not to waver, not to be double-minded, not to go back to our old ways like a dog to its vomit or, or a swan to wallow in their filth. For us to stand firm. And then he's going to give us here, in this portion of way, in this portion of scripture, a way of thinking that will help us stand firm in the Lord. And not just for a religious purpose, but actually for your own joy. For you to ha experience the best possible life lived. Jesus didn't give us rules. He didn't um, give us commandments. The apostles didn't say do this and don't do that because they wanted to instill a religious vibe. They wanted us to realize that Jesus knows what's best for life. And when he says this is bad and this is good, it's so that you can actually have the best possible life lived because he's the author and sustainer of life and knows how life should be lived and how it's best lived. And so he wants the best for us. And the best thing for us is to stand firm in the Lord and have the mindset that he teaches here. The first thing here is he wants unity. 
in verse 2, he says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Sinti to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. We don't know who's referencing there. I'm one of the leaders in the church. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. He's one of the leaders there in, Philippian, uh, in the church of Philippi. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So apparently there is a disagreement between these two women who are probably leaders in the church. Um, they are definitely believers because he says they're all written in the book of life. But then he doesn't say which side he takes and he gives no direct exhortment to what to do. Every other time in his um, epistles, Paul would say, I heard this disagreement. Uh, you need to really discipline this person, and you need to go this way. He doesn't do that. This was not a theological problem, and it was not a moral problem. If it were either of those, he would have specifically addressed it. This was something, maybe it was method or practice, something very basic that was going on, and there was a large disagreement, so much so that Paul had heard about it. And these two women who were laboring and partnering and were serving the church, maybe some people were taking one side and other people who were taking not a theological or moral thing. So Paul's like, you know what? Just find a way to agree and have unity. I'm not going to take a side here. There's no purpose for that. Find unity. Make it happen. Paul is telling us that he wants us to be unified on more than just theological and moral issues. He wants us to be unified in everything that we can be. In as much as we can be unified, we need to be. The more unified a church is, the better. And then he goes here into this next part. And it's a mindset that really, really sums up the rest of the book. But it's not a coincidence that he puts it after this part about unity. When we're all of the same mind and heart, we're all living in the peace and the joy that God gives, it's going to make unity within the church a whole lot um, And so it's not a coincidence that he puts it here, though it does really sum up the entirety of the book as well. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It, it, it seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Hey, just rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, again, rejoice in the Lord. In this book, he, he says it something like 18 times. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Why does he keep having to say that? Because he's trying to get a point across. If you're reading a book of the Bible and you see a word keep coming up, it's not, it's not because of coincidence. It's because he's really trying to get something across here. And what does he want this church to do? He says, I want you to rejoice. I will keep on saying it. I'll keep on ringing that bell. We need to rejoice. If there's division, find unity and keep on rejoicing. And then he says this, and I, I, I absolutely love this per verse. Paul says here, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Think about that. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The most reasonable thing, if you know the almighty God of the universe, if his spirit, spirit dwells in you, guides you, teaches you, you know how much he loves you, you have a relationship with the creator of the universe, the most reasonable thing to do 
is the result. There is nothing else that is as good of a reason to rejoice as the simple fact that God loves you and is with you. How awesome is that? We cannot forget that. Okay, I know, we've been in church, we all know, okay. But no. When we're walking through our daily lives, living out our daily lives, and, and something goes wrong, we lose our joy so easily, don't we? It's so easy to just, one thing happens, and you're like, you know what, that's ruined the day. I just decided I'm going to be in a bad mood. It doesn't matter what happens next. Everything is bad now, and you just want to be in a bad mood. You ever have those days where you're just like, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, or you, you get um, stuck on traffic in the, on the way to work, and so you're running late, and it just kind of ruins the rest of the day for you. You ever have days like that? It's so easy for us to just slip back into a negative spirit, to slip into a bad mood. Here's the thing. We're going to have bad days, and we're not perfect, and I've been through those. But there is this joy that we should always have, no matter what the circumstances are. You stub your toe, you get stuck in traffic. I have God with me right here, right now. I can communicate with the king of the universe. I have a relationship with him. How can I not be joyful? I was dead in my sin. I was dead in my trespasses. And he forgave me. And he washed me with his own blood. How can I not be joyful? You see, a lot of times when we're not having joy, it's because we're not really thinking about how good God really is and what he's done for us. And he wants us to be acting through that reasonable joy. Paul here in chains, writing to them, saying, it's reasonable for you to rejoice. It's reasonable for me to say those words. Let's not stop rejoicing, because it is the most reasonable thing we can do. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. There in verse 4. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's with us. He's here. His kingdom reigns in our hearts. It reigns in our church. It reigns in the city. Even if we don't see it, his kingdom is at hand. He is at hand. He's here with us. He goes before us. He's in us. He surrounds us. The Bible says that he even goes behind us. I like to think that the Holy Spirit's working behind me, fixing all the mistakes I've made. <laughs> you know? You, you, uh, Make a comment you shouldn't make, you can pray, and the Holy Spirit will go solve it and work it out for us. He's working ahead of us and behind us and around us, and he's in us. He's at hand. He's all around us. How easy to forget that the Lord is at hand. He's right here. He's right here and now with us. Then verse 6, he says that do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is at hand. So don't be anxious about anything. If the Lord's with you, he goes before you, he's behind you, he's around you, it says. that He dwells within us. We're with him, he's with us. So don't be anxious about big things. Don't be anxious about small things. He, don't, he says anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Aren't we anxious about a lot of things, though? How easy it is to just stress about something. I'm preparing for this message, and then I'm out uh, in um, 
this Thanksgiving dinner, we, we went and uh, Melissa's family, we rented a house out on a river and canoes, and it was supposed to be great, right? And so I'm enjoying my time. I'm taking like five days, four days off. I'm working on this sermon. I'm writing about how I'm, we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, right? And then later that day, uh, some of my crew is supposed to be working on some stuff at a house, and they're sending me messages like, basically, I'm not going in today. This isn't done. Uh, the customer's complaining about this. And I'm super stressed out because I'm not in town. They're supposed to be working on some stuff, and I'm stressing out, right? Right after, I'm writing a message about how I shouldn't be anxious. About anything, and so I immediately had to repent. I had to pray instead of worrying. That's what he tells us here. The Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious about anything. But what? In everything, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, you should go to Him in prayer. We go to Him a lot of times, and we pray. Really big decision, but a lot of the day-to-day stuff that sometimes we even stress about the day-to-day things. We think we can handle it, and we think I've got this, and so we don't go to him in prayer. You know, so I was uh, all of this week we were out at this house, and we're coming up the stairs that goes down to the water uh, from the house. There's this long stairs, and we're kind of coming up the stairs and. Father-in-law and Lincoln, our son, and uh, my niece Alice, who is about a year and a half old, and they're coming up the stairs, and she's kind of walking up the stairs, going to my going up. But there's kind of an edge here, and, he, and the grand, her grandpa is watching her. And they say something like, "Hey, don't go too close to there, or whatever." And she's a year and a half, and she's really smart. Like, she makes my son look a little bit dumb because she says so many words, and he says like, "Duh," <laughs> like just "duh, duh," <laughs> you know. That's like. That's just what he does. He just calls everything duh. And uh, she can, like, you know, she says stuff that just blows my mind for a year and a half. She's really, really smart. We're going up the stairs, and he's like, don't be too close to that edge. And she's like, I know. And I'm like, the arrogance of a year and a half year old saying, I, don't, I know to a 60-year-old grandpa, <laughs> right? I know. You don't know anything. You're a year and a half old. <laughs> That's what came to my mind. That arrogant little girl. She's cute. <laughs> but and it was actually really funny. But I was like, I was thinking about that, and I was like, we are kind of like that sometimes. Unless we really hit a situation where we think we need God, most of the time we're like, I know, I know. And it's kind of like Alice, this year and a half year old, saying, I know to a 60-year-old grandpa. And a lot of times we walk around in life, can handle it, and we're going, I know, I know, and God is looking at us like, you're a little baby, <laughs> like, you don't know anything, humble yourself, and pray, and ask, and be thankful for what you do have, I think that's the important thing, is that we pray, that there's the idea of just a reverent praise, reverent worship, or a reverent request, that's that, what this word here means, that's the most common word for prayer, in the most general sense of the word prayer. The idea carries the importance of reverence and respect, right? So instead of being like a one-and-a-half-year-old saying, I know, saying, okay, I'll listen to you because you know a lot more than me. So it's reverence that we go to him. And then to um, go to him with supplication, which is specific.
specifically asking. This is a type of prayer where you are just asking. Lord, please give me this. Lord, would you please do this? It's the idea of begging him, asking him repetitively. Keep asking. And then he says, and with thanksgiving. Sometimes we're, we're good at supplicating, right? We're good at making our request known to God. But a lot of times, we forget to be thankful. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, and we're thankful for that one day a year, right? But oftentimes, we forget how much he has done for us, how much he is doing in our lives, even though sometimes things don't change. But to be thankful for everything he's done for us. Every time we go to him, we should be, we should be asking. We should be reverently going to him in worship and praise and asking him of the things that we desire, but never forgetting to also thank him for the things he has done us. And I personally believe that sometimes God's going to keep saying no until you start being thankful for the things he's already given you. You know, in my life, sometimes I'm asking for things, and God's like, why don't you just be thankful for what you have? You know? That's what he impressed on my spirit is that, you're not being thankful for what I have given you. Why would I give you more? Recognize what, what I have done. Be thankful for it. And he continues to ask. And he will, he, will, he will bless us. He will answer our prayer. God does that. And if he doesn't, if he says no, it's because God knows a whole lot better than we do. Right? He's a whole lot wiser. And he knows your life. He's seen it. He knows how it's going to play outside of time. He's seen it all. He knows what's best. So he's saying no for a reason, but the Bible often tells us to keep on asking. Jesus tells a parable of this of this woman who goes to a judge, an unjust judge, and she keeps on asking, and she doesn't stop. And this unjust judge, this man who is operating in the flesh, who's operating in this world, even he says yes, finally, because he just wants her to stop asking. And he says, how much more will your father answer you when he's perfect and holy and good? But the idea there is try to annoy God. (laughs) Right? Keep asking. Don't be ashamed to ask. But also be thankful and also be reverent. And then it says, so as we're praying, we're requesting, we're thanking, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I want that. I want that. I want peace when it doesn't matter. I want peace. How about you? I want the peace of God when everything is going wrong. I want to be the type of person who says, get discouraged. Go to him in prayer, requesting, but also being thankful and ask for the peace of God to do this. And in the unity in the church, when there seems like there's splits that maybe are too big of a deal to repair, we can pray, and the peace of God can go ignored right in that place and repair things. 
Maybe you have relationships that you think will never be restored. The peace of God can go beyond all understanding. Maybe you have work friends that you just can't stand. The peace of God can go beyond all understanding. Maybe you have relatives that either annoy you or have done things that have hurt you. The peace of God can go beyond all understanding. Maybe some of your friends are Democrats or Republicans, and they're one or the other. The peace of God can go beyond all understanding, amen? That one was pretty applicable, I think. (laughs) I want the peace of God in my life. How about you? His peace can go beyond all understanding and cause us to not be anxious about anything. We're anxious about a lot of things. It's the peace of God. It's there that he gives us. We can stop being anxious about these things and instead have peace in our lives. He's telling us to, to cast aside anxiety and fear. And instead, reverence, request, and thanksgiving. You really can't have both. You can't reverently be thankful and request things to God and also be anxious. Because as you do that, he should work on your heart. You should be repenting of your anxiety and casting it aside. Oftentimes we start praying because we're anxious, but I don't know about you, but a lot of times by the time I'm done praying, I'm already more at ease. He wants to remove the anxiety. Josh and I have talked about this sometimes. and There's a weird thing in us sometimes when we just kind of want to be stressed, or we kind of want to be sad. We kind of like it in a sick way. Anybody else relate with that? Is that just me and Josh? <laughs> right? Do you ever have a bad attitude and you just kind of like embrace it? And you're like, I'm going. Or you get kind of sad and like, poor me. And that kind of feels good in a weird way, so you just embrace it for a day or a month. Poor me. Poor me. And you just kind of embrace the sadness for a little while. And you can do that with stress and worrying too. There's something there that you're like, I, I know I, I don't want to be stressed, but I kind of do. You just keep worrying about something and you're playing in your mind and playing situations that will never happen over and over in your mind and you're stressing about something that's completely made up. Do you ever do that? We have to cast that aside. We're all going to be stressed. We're all going to be worried sometimes. It's natural. We're humans. We're, we're still in these bodies of flesh that are not perfected. We're going to get new bodies that will be perfect forever to come. So we still struggle with it. But we don't have to embrace it. We can cast it aside and go to him with reverence and thanksgiving. Cast aside fear. Here it says that it will guard our hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. We talked about No problem for me to tell you the Lord's will, and it is safe for you. And here he says that it will guard our hearts to rejoice, cast aside fear, and instead to go to him with thankfulness, with reverence. And that is to start rejoicing in him, and that is actually a guard around us. In this next portion, he continues to tell us, Guard our thoughts, our hearts with 
what's here in verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This first part here in verse 8 and 9 is really a filter that he gives us to guard our hearts and minds. Peace of God, he says, will guard us. And then he goes into this filter. And you can start asking. And start with your thoughts, not just your actions. Start with what you think about. Is this true? When we're anxious, like I said, a lot of the things we're thinking about are completely hypothetical or made up in our mind. Aren't they? We're playing out a situation that hasn't even happened. We're just worried that it will. And it's not based on truth. It's not based on fact. It's not even based on any evidence we've seen. It's based on assumptions oftentimes. Now, there are real things that happen that can cause you to be stressed and worried. And you're like, I have proof, right? <laughs> like, I know this happened. But oftentimes, I'd say a good portion of what we worry about is completely hypothetical and made up. So, filter right here. Is it true? Is what you're thinking about true? No? Don't think about it. It's, it's of no use to you right now. Filter it out. Next one, he says, whatever is honorable. Is this a good thing? Honor to God that would honor me? Or is this something bad that's going to dishonor to his name? No. Cast it aside. Don't even think about it. Whatever is just. Is this just? Is this right? Is this good? Would God call this just? No. Cast it aside. Whatever is pure, is it pure? Is this a good thing or is this a sin? Cast it aside. Is it lovely? Right. Sometimes we just think about things that just are not good for us. They're just not a bad thing. Maybe it's not specifically, but it's just not good. Is it lovely? We don't need to be thinking about it. It's not good for us. Cast it aside. And he says, of course, whatever is commendable, similar to honorable, and if there's anything excellent, and anything worthy of praise. You see the idea here? He's giving you a series of questions to ask when you're thinking about things. To really filter things out. By doing this, by... Maybe a lot of guards your joy. Here's the thing. Untruthful things, unjust things, things, things that are horrible, things that are not praiseworthy. Those things, if allowed into your mind, allowed into your heart, and then it will be allowed in your actions, will rob you of joy. Remember, he's not telling us what to do and what not to do simply for a religious purpose. He's telling because, again, he is the God of the whole universe. Creator and sustainer of life, the Bible teaches. And I want to know that Jesus knows what's best for my life. Don't you? Don't you want that to be true? 
Don't you want to stop saying, I know what's best, and start saying, he knows what's best. So going through his word and seeing what he would have us do, instead of thinking, I know, I know, I know. And so he's giving us a filter here, not just for good works, not just for good thoughts, but actually to protect us and to guard our joy, our peace. Because these things will rob us of peace, they will rob us of joy, and they will rob us of the unity with God that we can have as well. And the unity we'll have with others. And so we must filter things in our thoughts first. A lot of times, think of sin simply as actions. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount made it so abundantly clear that sin begins in the mind. It begins in how you think about things. He says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you even get angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. It begins in the mind. So we must begin to filter our mind to protect us from sin, but also to protect the joy that we can have in the Lord. Amen? We must filter our thoughts, protect our hearts, that we can have peace with God. There's a few other scriptures I'd like us to go over. Um, something else I'm ready to talk about. Sorry, give me one second. As we're talking about filtering, it's all about where we set our minds. As we set our minds in the correct place, as we have the correct mindset, we'll be able to guard our hearts and filter it a lot better. Because it's not just about what we don't think about, it's what we should think about. It's not just filtering things out, but it's also about letting things in and thinking about good things. In um, Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Do you want to be conformed to the world? Do you want to look like the world? Do you want your actions and thought processes to be like the world? Well, the Bible tells us no. The Bible tells us that we should not be conformed to the world, but that we should be conformed to Christ. We're to be transformed and sanctified to be more and more like Christ every day. So he says, do not be conformed to the world, but instead, what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your actions. No, he says the renewal of your mind. Because sin and good works both start in the mind, the way we think about things. So our mindset is incredibly important. We can't just be religious Christians who, who do stuff on the outside that looks good. We need to have our mind and our hearts transformed by the love of Christ, transformed by the Holy Spirit to be more like him, to think differently, to think about good things instead of evil things. So we are not conformed to the world when we're allowing God to transform our minds. Colossians 3.2, Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things that are above, on heavenly things. Romans 8.5 says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and 
the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He's saying here, where our minds set, our actions follow. When you allow something to play out in your mind a lot, sin or stress, anything that's not good, it's more likely to also play out in those actions. Because that's where it begins. That's where it starts. Jesus said that it is not what comes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. It begins with our hearts. It begins with our minds. In 1 Peter 1, 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, preparing our minds and then being of sober mind. Right? There's a work you have to do in preparing your mind to be sober-minded. The goal is to be sober-minded, to have a working filter on your thoughts, have a working filter on what you allow to, to really possess your mind, to th- what you think about, what you let resonate in your heart. To have that a working filter to be sober-minded, and he says you have to prepare your mind. You have to work on it. Because it doesn't come naturally to us. We're in, this, we're in bodies of flesh. It's natural for us to think about things we shouldn't, to play out scenarios that are not helpful for us. It's easy to think about the things of the world and not to set our minds on God. And so we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We're to prepare our minds to be sober-minded. And he tells us here that we do so by setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. We set our minds on the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God that allowed Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be made new by his resurrection so we can be justified and we're in this process of obeying him every day in sanctification, but it'll be only one day. That grace is not done. It's not um, yet fully accomplished until the revelation of Jesus Christ when all things are made new. Sin is done away with and our bodies were transformed into new heavenly bodies. Think about that. The glory of the Lord one day is returning. Jesus is coming back. We should set our minds heavenly things that are to come. Have sober minds and hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive me for all the times I set my mind in places that shouldn't be. All the times I worry about things that I shouldn't worry about. Lord, I, I, I know I am so fallen short, Lord. your grace. I don't deserve your love. I do not deserve your cross. I do not deserve to be transformed and to be glorified into your likeness, Lord. I deserve none of these things, Lord. Yet you give it freely anyway. Lord, you pour out a grace on us
in you. The heavenly things, the things that you just want us to think about, the things that you, the good works that you have prepared for us to do. God, I pray that we recognize this time of living in your testimony to us. And if we would often just think about what you have done to know that we can have confidence and hope in you that you still hear and step out in action to make things good for other people. God, I pray that we would not start filtering our thoughts and actions simply out of religion, simply to look good for others, but because we realize just how good you are and how much better life is lived the way you want us to live. Lord, forgive us for what we've done. Of everyone in this room. So much so you died on a cross to wash us and offer us new life. Lord, please do not allow our hearts to take that lightly. That we would get out of our flesh mindset and think of holy things, think of heavenly things, God. Just how good you are.